and welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name's Beth and John. I'm an ex-neurosurgery trainee, current GP trainee, and I am with... Hi, I'm Darusha Gunawardena. <laughs> I'm a cardiology registrar, sub-specializing in coronary intervention. Hello. Ooh. I'm glad Hi. you specified that it's actually intervention of the heart. Because yeah. I guess it could just intervene in, in everything. It could be Otherwise. it could be anything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, the, people are just intervening on all kinds of things. And my brother, I thought he wanted to follow my footsteps and be an interventional cardiologist like the, like me. Yeah. But he wants to be an interventional radiologist. Bombed you off. That yeah. reminds, that's that, it wasn't your brother wrote, that wrote that post last weekend, was it, about how radiologists are nerds. They could oh, still God. do the interventional side. Just have a little word. Maybe. Him, just in case. Yeah, yeah. So, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm just, I've just caught sight of myself on the camera and realised how shiny I look now that I've been applying You're my glowing. super duper emollient. That, yeah, so I posted last night on Twitter to ask if like stress eczema was a thing because literally over the course of this week, I've just developed like these red blotches on my face that I'm just oh, no. like, where the heck have they come from? And I don't, I think it is stress or whatever. And as I found yeah. out, lots of our mutuals on Twitter also yeah, do yeah, yeah. have this. So it's definitely a thing. And so I bought this oleant and steroid cream yesterday and I've been applying it, but it makes me literally so shiny that there's a lamp on my head and I could, I just look like a gold ball, but it's, oh God, it's so funny. But yeah, Johnny, Johnny Gookie and the, the Gooks, who is the Oracle, mm. was yeah. straight in there with some really good advice about things. And he's hopefully going to hook me up with some nice little emollient samples that he's picked up from his conference travels over the years. So, so when you were describing the rash, did you say it's a macular papillar rash or did he make you? <laughs> I was like, it is red and bumpy and itchy. Help me. Yeah, exactly. I think no, you sent him a photo. Yeah, no, but totally, you know, those trying to learn the words, but the derm, and I, now I'm back in GP again and I'm just see people with a rash. I'm like, how do I document this in the notes without sounding like I'm three years old trying to like <laughs> right. describe something? But but yeah, he got it in one, but I was nice. like, yeah, no idea how to describe it, but this is what it looks like. But yeah. we're actually going to meet him this week, aren't we? This week. We are. For like a social media conference. Weird, like we were just talking before, weren't we, about how, like, how will that go? But we'll end up talking about kind of the role of social media in medical education, which is an interesting one, right? Yeah. So how that's... educational we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Like, how on earth did we end up doing this? But I think mm. the conference is a medical education conference. And then we're part of a panel talking about social media in medical education and stuff. And it was Johnny that kind of, pull this all together isn't it and uh, has helped facilitate this panel and there's a couple of other people who post quite regularly on med twitter going as well on the same panel yeah. but it's mad to me that we will be expected to maybe speak about something with some sort of knowledge authority. and authority and it's just yeah. have you met us before but it's funny actually because totally... i said this to him to begin with and he was like oh no you're more of a you're more of like a neutral party you're gonna like be it. and i was like am i okay mm. now nah, neutral i am it should be interesting. I can like, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder if anything comes out of it, or whatever. And with these things, it's, it's, it's a bit of a leap, isn't it? But like, with oh, those things, totally. I've met, like, the last conference yeah, I went to was in 2012 when I was a final year medical student to like the Association of British Neurologists. I've literally, I don't know, I don't go in oh, these really? circles. I don't know what to do. So I've not been to a conference yeah. for over 10 years. And, um, wow. and it's something that I always want to do, but I just never know like how to go about it. And I don't think I appreciated that you could just go like you don't have to be in it. You can just attend. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love yeah. a conference. I love so as expensive. in like, like so expensive. yeah. I go if I can get get it for free. Yeah, because I, I like that. I think it's a good opportunity for lectures. I know that people go to Pornhub and stuff, and I've never ever been good at that because I find that it's just really obviously self promotional, and I can't. I find that it's yeah, difficult to. Yeah, um, if you're not used to doing know. that, it's quite hard to go there and big up yourself, isn't it? And yeah. It should be good to hang out. And, will, um, I am so looking forward to that. Yeah, I really am. So I was looking at the things that we could do and the Ghostbusters immersive gaming experience. We're going to have to tell people what that's like. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. Yeah, like, like even from the like title alone, I, I don't yeah. know how you could not. Once you've seen that thing, yeah, yeah. like how can you not it's do it? Done. There Absolutely. used to be, I don't think it's still there anymore, but there used to be that big like Crystal Maze experience in Manchester. No way. Yeah, oh my God. I know. I, I, th- I think it's gone. But you used to go and you'd ha- you'd be in like a team and you'd have to wear like the bomber jackets and everything. Mm. Yeah. And then you'd go. We were talking about start the fans, please, weren't we, the other week? Uh, and yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like yeah. you'd go in at the end and stuff. But I think that that might have gone. But yeah, the Ghostbusters immersive experience is a very that's up there too, man. That's very cool, right? So, but the funny thing about the Crystal Maze is I don't know. It's like childhood memory of watching oh, that with my yeah. parents and just like sitting there, and be like, no, that guy's an idiot. Yeah. What are you doing? And oh, just so uh, I don't know that... if, if I just, so I don't know. If, funny enough, Crystal Maze. I don't know if anyone remembers this. Who was like Welsh, or they are? They probably are still Welsh if they were Welsh when they were kids, but they've not changed. <laughs> but. They were, there's this theme park in West Wales called Oakwood Park that's still there, but attached to Oakwood Park, and it's well gone now, and I thought I'd made this up for years, there was like this little crystal maze experience attached to the theme oh. park that you could just go in and do. And me and my brother did it once because we were obsessed with crystal maze, and we were proper like younger kids, and the games weren't like crazy, and the dome at the end was just like lights that you could bash and stuff. And then right. like years later when we went back, the there was like nothing on that ground. It was just like flat ground. Oh, just a And spit. I was just like, yeah. And I was just trying to say to my brother, did we definitely do that? And he was like, no, it I rings a bell. Yeah. And, yeah. But then there's no remnants of it there now. So, so if anybody listening remember, was in Pembrokeshire in the 90s and yeah, was remembers that, then please, it would be good to have confirmation that we're not making it up. Yeah. It <laughs> wasn't just like a yeah. really elaborate dream or something. Yeah, that me and my sibling just shared one yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's... It was bizarre, Absolutely. and I think, God, that would be so good still now. But if anyone can confirm yeah. that this was a thing and I'm not making it up, that would be good. You know, like the number of different reality shows and stuff we have now. I, I'm surprised that it's not still a big thing because it was I just know. so amazing. But it did come back with Richard Adewade, didn't it? It came oh, back yeah. a couple of years ago, on still on Channel 4. But I think I remember seeing a few celebrity episodes, but I, I was literally obsessed with that show. And I do agree, now it would still be bloody phenomenal it's so much yeah. better than yeah, some yeah. of the other stuff that is ongoing a cough i'm a celebrity cough nigel farage yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no definitely yeah i've i'm never really you know you, know, you get people that's not been i don't watch it but i just don't dig them for some reason i just don't yeah. like any of them like bake off or strictly come dancing i just can't get into them i don't know what it is yeah but i just never i don't know i think it's I go yeah, through I phases, I think. If it's people in there that I really like, then I find myself watching it. So I used to love Strictly. I haven't really engaged with it much this year. Bake Off, I don't mind at all. But Love Island and stuff, when it comes on, I just am like lost, completely lost. Yeah, and, yeah. Nobody yeah, needs that yeah. shit in their life. To, yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my God, but the, the show that I have been obsessed with is The Bear. I know I've been telling you about oh, it, Oh, I right? need to watch so this. It. It's so good. It's, it's so the good. cooking one. It's, it's a drama it's a about this, the one in the kitchen, isn't it? 
yeah. on Disney, and is it? It's on Disney Plus. And uh, I think it was originally on a channel called Star or something, which is an American channel, right? And the premise of it was originally what put me off because they were like, oh, it's like the fast paced life in a kitchen. And I was like, oh, stuff like. <laughs> Quite generic, isn't it? Like... Yeah, it sounds like a little bit dark. Is it going to be like, I don't know, Gordon Ramsay's like kitchen design? I was like, oh, I'm not oh, really sure yeah. I'm bothered about it. And then it had the guy in it played Philip in the US Shameless show. Yes, yes. And which, and I remember seeing him in a kind of in a celebrity like under this gaze of being a celebrity and they were talking about how he always looks cool and like a white shirt he always wears a white shirt and all those kind of things were just like ticking me off being like oh actually that doesn't sound very good at all but I went to a conference was uh, yeah it was a conference recently and someone was talking about how the life in the kit in the kitchen was like the life in a cat lab and I was like that oh. also sounds terrible but like, <laughs> I love what, it. Yeah. what are you on about and uh, then he talks about the way they communicate in the kitchen. So, for example, if they want help, they like say they have a code and everyone agrees on it. If you're walking behind someone, you're carrying something hot or carrying a knife, you say behind and you, yeah. everyone, and there's like a great leveling thing where you say, yes, chef. And when you, when someone's to make sure that communication is good, when you, to prove that you've heard the person, you say heard and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's really interesting. Very human fantasy and kind of thing, it I was, guess, isn't it? And, yeah. I was hooked because literally it is about trying to run the the kitchen as like efficiently it's as efficient, possible, managing yeah. different and ca- characters and stuff. It's so good. I can't recommend it enough. I just binged like both seasons. So I need to watch that. Funnily enough, it reminded me because I also wanted to see there's whether it's like a British-ish version, but there's that film Boiling Point that was out two years ago, I think, with Stephen Graham. Mm. And now they've made a series that I guess follows on from it that was literally mm. just on BBC iPlayer now about the same sort of thing. But yeah, called Boiling Point, and I've heard lots of good things about that. And again, it's called a kitchen drama. Right. And to be fair, Stephen Graham, whatever he's in, tends to be pretty good. So yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll check yeah. that out and the beer as well. But does yeah, it not make not. you hungry? Does it not make you want? It leave? does. I was oh, gonna oh, say, yeah. literally, they're yeah. always eating really nice stuff, and I have to say that uh, it does, it does make you crave nice things. Because we were saying of... earlier, weren't we? That I, I was saying we've done started making a big dent on the Christmas food shop last night. And the willpower to not eat that stuff like right now is so hard. It's just in the fridge, like looking at me. But I know if I was to watch something like that now, those cheeses would be cracked open. Oh, God. I'll be in some sort of cheese coma. So I went to Aldi's last night, actually. This is not commissioned or anything. But the (laughs) cheese selection was pretty much spot on. So I got a cheddar with roasted garlic. I got a cheddar with truffles. I've got a generic Mexican spicy cheddar. That's, See, I, yeah. Oh, I got a company you call it generic because that's one of my favorite. No, because options. it's not, but it's not the real one. So there is a brand, Mexicana. isn't it? Mexicana, yeah. So yeah. I think this is just it comes in the shape of a Christmas tree, and it's just called spi- <laughs> oh. it's just called spicy cheddar. But it is uh, it's enough. like a yeah, knockoff Mexicana, Mexicana yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously one. there's the classic like Wednesdaydale with cranberry in there, which I yeah. bought as a token thing for me dad. But yeah, and that those the garlic one I really wanted to try actually the cheddar mm. with roasted garlic. Bought a big wheel of brie. That was, Ooh, don't know how that's going to last past tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, but it's just because it's there. And it, and I think yeah. if I was to start watching a show that, like, showcased yeah, food. Yeah. That is true, actually. That's it, man. That's me. Christmas is a bad yeah. time to be watching stuff oh, like that, actually. Yeah. Have you, also, have you had any validating, mince... too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whichever, yeah. Depends on how you want to play it. Have you had any mince pies yet? Have you started on mince pies? Oh, I God, yeah. I feel like, yeah. Today. I've not had any for a while, but I had, when they first started coming out, which I feel was quite a long time ago, maybe September? 
October, I went through a You had them in of... fine September? Yeah, whenever they first what? were released. I remember thinking, ooh, novelty. And I don't even like them that much, but they're food, so I'll eat it. But funnily yeah, enough, again, enough. in Aldi, oh God, I'm, I swear I've not got an affiliation with this. But yesterday in Aldi, I picked up these amazing mince pies. So it was apple crumble topped mince pies. So it's like this weird, Ooh. like, apple mince meat. And then the best one was millionaires caramel mm. mince pies. Ooh. They have like... So what's inside it? So they have the mince meat, but it's like caramel infused. And then there's this caramel like crumble topping on top. I also that bought a honeycomb good. bomb that's just got caramel in the middle. I just see caramel oh. and I'm like, need to buy this all. And then I just can, went raided the fridges. for. I found this extra thick Bailey's caramel cream. So I'm just like one way ticket to diabetes Amazing. and coronary artery disease after after Christmas. So I'm glad one of us are doing interventions because no doubt that's <laughs> going to be something that I'll require. Gotcha. Yeah, they sound delicious. Oh gosh, I can't delicious. wait, and I'm I've not even got a sweet tooth. I'm definitely more savoury, but even I'm just like I'm ready for that. How do we um, go on from that? I don't think there is any way to, to go. I think we, we should, should just do, stop we and should, eat. Let's mention our sponsors, and then we'll decide what to do next. Yeah, yeah fair enough. So our sponsors, so at Scrubs underscore UK, so. At S-C-R-B-S underscore UK. They make really comfortable, practical and durable scrubs for clinicians. So doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, dentists, vets, carers, you name it. They have great practical applications. They fit really well. And they're just the next level in of comfort when you're in the clinical settings. If you check them out and use our promo code, which is 2medics, T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-10, you get ten percent off, and you linked our fave Jamie Fer- uh, Sherrington. So yes. he bought some, didn't he? This was a pretty and good uh, advert for them, and this is not yeah. again not affiliated at all. But yeah, Jamie bought some of the scrubs, the CR SCRBS underscore UK scrubs, and always just looks ridiculously good in whatever he posts. But they actually took like on the photo, they look like a genuinely good fit. And someone said, like that is what they should definitely use that as like marketing yeah. material. Uh, the marketing, he said, yeah. Perhaps. They feel just as good as, as really posh other brands. Uh, yeah. They have more pockets. They arrive quicker, cheaper. They don't have cringe slogans in the waistband. I don't know what that means. So the other ones No, slogans. I've never had the other popular brand of scrubs that are wildly overpriced. So oh I my don't, God. I don't yeah, know. They have, I mean, they have things like just saving lives. And oh, maybe... that makes me want them even less yeah. than I already right. wanted them. So yeah, yeah. so the SCRBS underscore UK scrub scrubs. There you yeah, go. Not them. to be offended with pithy slogans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's get on to it. Let's get up. You've linked some really awesome uh, topics this week. Thank you. Thank you. One of the big ones is, and I don't know really how to tackle it, but I'm not convinced that I really know that much, know enough about it. I just feel like it's insurmountable, which yeah. is the consultant's payoff has uh, been put to a vote for the BMA. So there's uh, negotiations with the doctor's council and the consultants group separately. And obviously they've presented an offer now for the consultants. What do you, so what's your take on all this? So the fact that neither of us are consultants has already put us on a back footing. So I, yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not saying that I understand the implications entirely, but there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter. And I think the overwhelming feeling about it was that it's just a bit pants, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a tweet by at Vish underscore Sharm, who's chair of the BMA Consultants Committee. Cardiologist. Yeah, cardiologist, one of your kin. And uh, yeah, so he was made a, a thread summary about that to say, 
that there's been a month of negotiations. They've received an offer to try and settle the dispute. And even though it doesn't deliver everything we asked, and I think from what people have been saying, it doesn't deliver much at all. They felt that maybe it was good enough to put that to members to vote on. So I've seen a lot of talk about how there's this kind of group of consultants, more the earliest consultants that are going to be stuck in this period of no pay increase. There's lots of people going to be stuck in this 100k a year bracket, which puts you into the 60% tax bracket. So again, what's the point? And then there's stuff about the the CEA awards that is getting changed. There's stuff that with SPA time that's getting changed. And I think a lot of uncertainty in that respect. But without kind of, I'm sure we'll touch base on it a bit more, but there was a tweet from someone said that kind of trying to read between the lines of the BMA's tone, they wonder if the BMA also thinks this deal is awful, but they're just doing their part to put it to the members and sounds like they're playing the game. But that's just someone's summarization. It's not confirmed. But I think generally seen a lot of unhappiness about it this week on Twitter. Yeah. I get the feeling that the kind of the loss of the CAA awards is like a shuffling of the deck of the money so that it doesn't actually seem like it's as it's not doesn't really amount to much. I think Jamie Murphy did a tweet where he said that if you stripped it down to the bare bones, there was one particular offer where if you uh, consulted that was getting 87k would go up to 98k but if you uh, match them with if they actually got true pay restoration they'd be on 114k so that was a massive disparity there and a lot of people are unhappy that it seemed to favor the deal seemed to favor people the consultant to a the much old, more senior yeah the older yeah, yeah the older consultants like wasn't it a completely unsurprising tactic really totally. if you think about the way the conservatives work in trying to divide people but also often aiming for the older demographic and I guess th- those kind of moves that they make, um, I'm not surprised that it's left people with a really bad taste. I'm just looking um, at, I'm just looking at text. So Tech Priest did a bit of a thread about it as well. And I feel like this boy is always on the money with like threads about stuff. He just knows so much about everything. Does, yeah. um, but he made a good point about this whole kind of attempt to redefine SPA. And we know that like SPA is normally non-clinical time. But I think the new proposed definition of SPA has got this wording in there that says it's going to include exceptional clinical activities. What that is, nobody knows. But Tech Priest wondered whether that's opening the doors to consultants not having admin time as SPAs and whether they'll actually be having to provide service provision during SPAs, which, again, knowing how the Tories work, like that can definitely be a thing, isn't it? It's that loss yeah. of protected admin time of which you need as a consultant to just provide more throughput. Yeah, I think we, we know that the government aren't going to engage in negotiations in good faith. We've just seen that they're just incapable of doing so. And we could see how they treated the nurses in terms of trying to divide them as a group. I'm not surprised that the consultants have moved in this way. And as Tech Priest has mentioned, it speaks volumes that the union is putting it neutrally to members. And I suspect what they're trying to do is say, this is what they've said so far. It is an increase. It's not what we asked for. Are you going to take this or are you going to back us to strike some more? And I think what they're essentially asking is, do you, want, do, you want, do you have the appetite to strike some more? In which case, we need your backing. And I think I feel like that's what they're going for. But they can't yeah. say that. They have to, I think I feel like I have to Yeah, it's playing that game, isn't it? And I really like um, Scott's tweet. So at DOB86. And I feel like this hit the nail on the head. So Scott said, 
the government's pay officer will have the headline of every new consultant on 100k like that is what i guess the media are going to pick up so he's then said don't expect public opinion to be overtly positive if the consultants vote to reject that and it is it's a good soundbite isn't it look how much these consultants are on and even that's not enough so i think people have to start getting it into their heads and i think people are doing that slowly anyway in terms of whatever we need and whatever we're striking for is not dependent on the public support it's good to have it but also we know that's not always going to be a given so i think just getting your head around that as well is that this is going to people off isn't it who are even not in the profession yeah was at the moment like we don't it's we yeah public opinion is a difficult one because that basically depends on how things are portrayed and so they're thinking about optics more than anything yeah you're right it's it's a messy game do you see that i saw there's an email from the bma the, the junior doctors committee yeah and they're basically saying that they're in the 11th hour and watch this space we're expecting to hear something in the next week about how that's going i suspect what the government would have tried to do is drag things out as long as possible to avoid strikes over the Christmas period and people have been talking haven't they about how there's obviously been a period of time without strikes and so they're yeah. like wondering if we're going to lose our steam true because the last strike say. was beginning of October wasn't it so nearly two months ago and we were having yeah. them quite regularly up until that point yeah I, I wonder what mm. happens now my feeling is from that email I feel like if there was I don't know this whole I'm reading between the lines or speculation yeah no, just I'm just not yeah disillusioned yeah. I think is the word but I guess what I was also interested in this week was the fact that there was quite a lot of upset from some of the Royal College of Nurses, senior exec type people that were quite furious over the doctor's payoff. Um, And it was insinuating that, like, how dare the government just talk with the the consultants and offer them more. And I guess they sold out, for want of a better phrase, for five or six percent for whatever it was and there was like votes to unions and there was different unions involved and I think that came and was quite a bit kind of people weren't too happy with that and there was there was a post by a senior nurse who said a nurse is going to be furious that doctors were given a better pay offer no of course not doctors should be paid fairly a nurse is going to be furious that the government value them less than doctors sure why wouldn't they and I'm not sure it is that but I think there was quite a lot of good takes about that as well that says, you know, I guess they are, the Royal College of Nurses are maybe kicking up a fest because things didn't go so well in their talks, but it's because maybe as doctors, we've undertook more industrial action and, and held out for longer than they what the nurses did. Earlier, yeah. they? And, and then they, I don't get yeah. how like the Royal College of Nurses are like, got upset because didn't they put, didn't they advise their voters to vote? Yeah. And then, yeah. So I think there was two, there was a couple of unions involved, wasn't it? And there was one, I can't remember what the exact ones were, but in the end it got voted through. And I guess that's, you might not have voted that position yourself, but if that's the, if that's the majority, then that's a shame, isn't it? And I don't think you should be taking that, that disappointment up with doctors because it's just a different situation and we've done different things in terms of industrial action, but it's just a very fraught and yeah, you can see why people are getting upset from all angles, definitely. I really liked Phil Lee's response though. She kind yeah. of just sums up like how some people have responded to this. It's like people are like, oh, the BM actually when they put that kind of vote to office and just can't see the wood from the tree. They're just, oh, this is like a massive capitulation by the consultant committee and all this kind of stuff. And Phil Lee was like, well, I'm torn about the consultant pay offer. On the one hand, the loss of SPA time is concerning and will leave 
future consultants open to exploitation. The pension issue is still open and it's still below inflation. On the other hand, I really don't like some of you on here. <laughs> it just yeah, says what we're all thinking, doesn't he? Yeah. But I think probably a good tweet to end our little session on the consultants pay offer, of which again, neither of us are consultants, but there you go, is Zach Ferguson can always be relied upon to have a decent yeah. take. And Zach's interpretation, shall we say, is always brings joy to us. <laughs> but yeah, so he was, so he said the additional perks for this pay offer uh, are uh, a 0.1% uplift in annual leave allowance, a wider choice of basic colours. Colours, that's amazing. One in four resident nights now mandatory. When you get home from the night shift, you remember that you took your bedding off to wash it, but didn't put fresh bedding back on. So you'll have to do that before you can sleep, even though you're really tired. <laughs> and then the best of all, Matt Hancock will put you and his top eight friends on MySpace. Uh, which is quite a generational reference there. There's only going to be yeah, um, certain people amongst us that's going to get that, isn't it? But yeah, Zach can always be relied upon to, yeah, bring it Represent home. Represent for the millennials. Yeah, millennials totally. Well. Love it. I'm moving on. Oh my God, you think this one, spider eggs in your big toe. Explain yourself. So again, so the, a, a while back we spoke, did a woman have a, a worm in her brain or something? The other, oh. And again, so that was like, I couldn't sleep one night and I heard that story on the radio. And then again, for this one, just always have the radio on in the night, half asleep. And then heard this kind of story of a man on a cruise ship who had a purple toe when they sliced it open and all these spider eggs came out. And I thought that was just some like batshit dream I've just had. But no, lo and behold, once again... It was a real thing. I don't know like how you would cope with life after that. I just don't know. But essentially, a guy had a purple toe, as I've just said, and the doctors kept it open and spider's eggs started to pour out like WTF. I just don't. Oh, God. I, just, so I don't. Yeah. I don't know like how I could look at my toe the same way ever again without yeah, some sort of trauma response. The picture of the spider. Just oh a God. massive tarantula, which I hope wasn't in there as well. But yeah, no. Actually, there's yeah, there is no pictures, which I'm disappointed about. Even though I really don't want to see them. Oh, so so the story was just that he'd been bitten by a Peruvian wolf spider whilst he was in France, Whoa. which had laid eggs inside his toe, despite having treatment to remove them. One hand. that's a, that is a nightmare. The other thing is, it'd be like a superhero origin story. Origin, but... yeah. yeah. But so it we said, yeah, he way. was on a he was on a cruise on his 35th wedding anniversary trip. So that is definitely one to remember, isn't it? Yeah. My wife thought it may be because I had new sandals and they were rubbing on my big toe that was causing it to be red. But That's lo and like behold, the wife is a nurse answer. Like the wife's such, nurse, just, you'll be yeah. fine. Just oh my God. It it's just I just love the conclusion when it was like, after the holiday, he went to hospital in the UK where doctors prescribed antibiotics. I was like, for yeah, what? So what even? Yeah. I can't remember going on the, oh, yeah, on the formulary and just looking for spider eggs in big toe. Like yeah. what <laughs> antibiotics? Spider, That's, yeah. So what? Anarooms? Yeah, yeah. Now that is one to call Jamie Murphy about in the middle of the night, yeah, as he yeah. often kicks off about his yeah, his uh, his non resident just, on calls. That's true. Just make sure you discuss with the Reg first, and that'd be all right. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I did enjoy the tweet from Shy. So Shyless Shah. So he's someone I worked with at Norwich. Really nice guy. Super nice. He did the he did a tweet that said talked about the monosynaptic reflexes in medicine, the stuff that you just do in response to other things. So increase. But if you see the lactate's raised, give, give salbutamol for wheeze. If the news is greater than seven, then you bleed. If there's a headache, CT head. D-dimer, VTE. If there's CRP, sepsis. If there's a trop, it's ACS. Third of AD, ward-based ceiling of care. Analgesia, 
IV paracetamol or IV morphine, COPD, target SATs, 88 to 92%. That one winds me up, actually, the target SATs thing. I'm like, oh, you can't give them oxygen. Can you think <laughs> yeah. of any? I guess mine's been a bit facetious, but mine would be bleeping the doctor numerous times and then walks promptly walking away from the phone. That oh always God, yeah, happens, that happens, doesn't it? It's as if yeah. it's just, you just bleep me. Please just hang around whilst I ring you May, back. Whilst I ring the four numbers on that phone, I can imagine. Yeah. That I happened to me during my own call. I got so annoyed because like I'd call back straight away and then just ring and then someone pick up and they'd be like and they'd be like, "Does anyone believe the doctor?" I'm like, I literally oh, just like, call yeah, back. They just disappeared, yeah. And so then I got put on hold, and then this kind of like respiratory doctor. I'm getting a bit specific, but anyway. And they were like, "Oh yeah, it's because like bleep for this, which is linked to many phones, and so it just comes out through me." And I'm like. Could you not bleep to that phone then, please? Could you just bleep to yeah. one that you might be able to? Like, oh, we don't have the facilities for that. And I'm like, at Pepperworth Hospital, there are going to be other, there are going to be phones that you can bleep from where I cannot actually respond to you. Otherwise, I was like in the middle of a wardrobe. I was like, I'm on a ward round and I'm just sitting yeah. here on hold waiting for you to come back. And it's just ridiculous. And she acted like I was really pretty. If you were the like, issue. How dare yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. How dare? Literally, she was like, How dare you? How like, dare was, you? Yeah. How dare you? You're being so rude. And I was like, no, please, if you're going to bleep me, can you do it for uh, where I can actually respond to you? So yeah. Then, yeah, if you're going to bleep me, sense. at least talk to me when I actually, yeah. like, yeah. It just makes most sense. Um, anyway. It happens go. all the time. But there's, there's oh, one God. here as well that, sell, that says, and again, it's classic, smells of urine, so it must be a UTI. I hate yeah. that. Because, of course, urine smells. Urine smells like urine. Yeah. And yeah. if you pee your pants, you're also going to smell like urine. That doesn't That's mean... True. No. Urine doesn't smell like, exactly, man. It happens to the yeah. best of us. But urine exactly. doesn't smell like roses. It doesn't smell especially fresh. So it's just chilly. Especially if you've been eating asparagus. Oh my God. Oh, it smells stinky. Horrendous. You know what, actually? I have to dispute that because sometimes urine can, if I've had sugar puffs or something yes. really sugary. Is it sweet? Yeah. It's, yeah, like, um, it's got a syrupy vibe. Uh, I can't believe we're vibe. talking about it. <laughs> It's got an aroma of maple and it's kind of floating around. I mean, you do the surgical, no, the, chem, the what's it called? The scientific what? The chemistry what? The what? Mm, yeah, yes. the what? I'm getting grapes in a field. As long as you stop one step short of tasting it, we're all okay. But no, <laughs> Swelling sometimes. In a glass. Yeah, sometimes it does actually smell like sugar puffs, even if I've not yeah. eaten sugar puffs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because so I remember like telling that. What, whatever condition's yeah. going on, we've both got it. Yeah, Hopefully yeah, this will be probably. okay. Yeah, diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> but you had some thoughts as well. You had like cardiology version, didn't you? Of... Oh yeah, which is just pretty much me complaining. Everything was just, yeah. I yeah, felt it. Everything's just like cardiology review. And then he replied being like, will someone please think of the cardiology registrars? And I was like, all right, I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though. It's true. But like talking about frustrating things, there was a tweet from um, Julia this week, who is a postgraduate medical student or a graduate entry medical student and is in her final year of said graduate entry medical degree. And she posted a picture of a PowerPoint slide um, with the caption, there's some classically patronizing this. Sorry, there's something classically patronizing about being in the final phase of medical school. And having a lecture about how to be professional in writing an email. If people don't know by now, then they're really a lost cause. I think I would, that would irk me, getting that lecture. Uh, like we talk about things like wanting a lecture about understanding the pension scheme and things like that. But to get to a, the end of a graduate entry medical degree, and to then get an email, like it's literally, on, so the PowerPoint slide is like... I'm just looking at yeah, it now. It's oh bad, my gosh. It? Address the correct person. It's like 
And then the example they've got is, hi, Louise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like the kind of lecture you get to an alien who's trying to work out how to exist amongst other human beings. You mean, how is a person doing a graduate entry medical course and not know how to send an email? I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. Do you think that they just kind of, this was like a last minute change and they were like, oh God, I've lost the slides. I better just make it up yeah just put an email in yeah Yeah, but i think it's probably ticking some box about professionalism or whatever that they've got to teach but you can't teach this you shouldn't be teaching this stuff rather these are not kids as julia pointed out in like the comments these are like 20 and 30 year olds who've had like previous degrees and previous careers we're not new to this this isn't our first rodeo and it just again i know i keep mentioning it because i can't get over the fact that it was a thing it reminds me of that e-learning where it was like telling me what the keys on a keyboard did and it's like, how do you think I logged into this system to get here? Yeah, but literally. it's just, and I'm like, that's such a waste of life, isn't it? Like a lecture yeah. like that. But who knows? Maybe someone needs it. But as we've said, there's, they need One probably person. a bit more help than just an email. If that's the case. It makes me think that with all these kind of things, there's always just like one person who like ruined it. For, like someone who did it yes. so bad, they were like, we need just... This can never happen again. This, this is can how, never yeah. happen again <laughs> because yeah. of this one. Because if it was emailed, it's to WhatsApp dog, and then it's, yes, oh, this no. is Professor Stones. Please address them accordingly. Yeah, please. We yeah. can't have this happen again. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Oh, so you did one that's called Prosecco LP. What's that? Yeah. So it just, it just took me back to my LP days. Like I used to love doing an LP. I was I was like good at them, and I was like, yeah, that was, felt like a skill. But yeah, so there was a Tom, uh, there was a Tom, there was a tweet by Tom. Sorry. There was a Tom. Uh, no, there was a Tom by tweet. There was a tweet by Tom, so at Wickers131, um, who said, my registrar buying me Prosecco to congratulate my first solo LP and it was a champagne tap and thanking me for helping on some intense nights has both made me love him more and given me a much needed boost this week. What a guy. So that's a good positive tweet. Like, I love that. We need more of that. But also... Yeah. It's called a champagne tap for a reason. I feel like you've been shortchanged by receiving a bottle of Prosecco. That shit should be Moe and Chandon. I'm just saying <laughs> it's called a champagne tap. But jokes aside, that's such a good feeling for a junior doctor, I think. To yeah. Someone's appreciated you. And it took me back to a time. So I was an SHO in ENT as part of my neurosurgery training. And um, it was like the first time we'd had like F1s on our team for quite a while. And they were great. And it was such a thoughtful gift, but one of my F1s bought me a, like a corkscrew nice wine bottle opener because I'd come to work one day. I'd had a, I'd had a bottle of wine with a cork and didn't have a bottle opener. And I tried to open it with a knife and I ended up like cutting my hand, but not like serious. And he was saying like, what have you done? So I explained and like he came at the end of the rotation with a nice corkscrew. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. It's just so nice to think that your colleagues have remembered and thought about you yeah, and stuff. So nice. I thought that was quite a nice a nice wholesome treat to break up the doom and gloom yeah. that yeah, we inevitably deep. talk about but yeah you added something about a live case and i meant to ask you about this because i didn't actually know what this meant oh. i knew it was cardiology related but i didn't yeah, know no, not at all but i just didn't know beyond that what a live case was yes during conferences they'll prep a patient to, to so that they do the procedure whilst everyone's watching oh. and they're doing like a live angiogram and it's interesting because generally there tends to be like either two or three going simultaneously because obviously there are things kind of take time to do and there's lag or whatever. So they'll skip between each one. But at kind of crucial stages, they'll stop and they'll be like, so what do people think we should do next? And they'll talk about it. And they talk about strategies and stuff. 
It's really wow. interesting. Oh, that's it's also, cool. Yeah. So, but I remember thinking, what's the ut- utility in them? Are they a bit, because it's a bit showy, isn't it? Having everyone like watch you. Do I guess so. Care. But for me, I think what the first thing that struck me is that hearing what other people would do. I think that's where yeah. the learning comes from because you yeah. realize how many options there probably are. Yeah. And you get like you, your practice often is like anecdotally, not your, but all of our yeah, yeah. practice is like often anecdotally. It's based on what we've seen and what we're used to and patterns we've recognized. So I think sometimes in those cases, when there's like discussion from other people, I would have done this. I guess that's quite interesting, but that's such a cool way to learn. It is interesting. I think the reason why in the past I didn't like the concept of it is some of the people Mm. I saw do it, I felt they were a bit kind of showy-offy. But I have to say It gives a good avenue for that, doesn't it? Like it suits that. Yeah, the type of person who'd maps wants to do it. Because I can't imagine myself wanting to be involved in that kind of process being yeah I don't know being a bit nervous for the patient it is quite extroverted isn't it in terms of yeah being watched to the nth degree by Mm. all of your peers I have to say that I have seen some live cases where I have found them really instructional and learned stuff from it's been cool but the reason why I link this one is because it was by there are two women interventional cardiologists Mm, Farrah Chardley Farrah Chowdhury and Crystal Longman so they're both women interventional cardiologists and they were Amazing. saying, oh, it's fantastic to do it. And it, was, it might be the first two female operator live case in the world, which is awesome. So Yeah, totally. Yeah. When you said about how they would stop at key points and pose it to the audience, it reminded me of those, do you remember those books when you were little that you'd read a passage oh, and at the bottom of the page, which, yeah, which page you'd go to and it'd be, yeah. So do we go down this artery? Do we way? go down oh, this artery? What do we, what That's not a great example, because <laughs> you pretty much die in every choice you make. Oh, right? no. You... <laughs> yeah. Like you open it, the yeah. box of spiders jump out and Not eat again. Like, oh, in my toe. Oh, yeah. yeah, spiders yeah. in my toe. Not again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But yeah, that's so uh, funny. What's this one? What we do in medicine, a hospital that wouldn't fly in another context. Yeah. What's so that? this was a tweet by one of our American uh, compadres who said, what's one thing we do in the hospital that wouldn't fly in any other context? So I thought that was, was quite interesting because the first reply that's come up on mine was a huge bugbear for me when I was working in hospital medicine. And one of the replies said that we wake people up every couple of hours to see if they're doing okay. Sleep deprivation is probably illegal under the Geneva Convention, but evidently not if you're in hospital. And that's so true, isn't it? Because yeah. people would say, oh, doctor, this person can't sleep. C- can you prescribe as Opiclone? But then it would be like waking them up to do neuroobs. And it's just have a little think about why they can't well, sleep. And But yeah, there was, which I did, I did link one by Layla. And she said that actually for us, it's accepting regular errors in our monthly pay. And I was like, that's not even funny oh, because yeah, it's so true. true. Like, I genuinely don't, I can't think of other industries that put up with the stuff that we do in healthcare sometimes. There's there's something that I think are odd and that you wouldn't accept it in any other setting. For example, it always bugs me when you'd watch watch someone on a round or whatever, and they're examining someone, they listen to their chest or whatever, and then they throw their their blanket up to look at their legs. I'm like, I know they've examined their chest, so maybe... But I just think there's something expo- weird about just suddenly exposing their legs, like really suddenly. Yeah, the way they just throw it. Yeah, can you and not you lift the blanket? Yeah. yeah, and just there's something really weird That's about it. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, that's strange. That kind you of right. weird, and it's always struck me as a kind of really embarrassingly. I don't know. It's like an entitled thing to do to just suddenly be like, "Whoa, we'll just whip there and just have a look at your legs." It's quite. Shows. It's quite dramatic, isn't it? When they like yeah, yeah, yeah. the counterpane back and it's just look at their legs and that poor person. Yeah, I know. Literally, but, just like a yeah. piece of meat. 
but go. there was a burn this week as well. This was a tweet um, mm, about really. someone like recommend, like someone referring to something as the late 1900s. So there was there was a post from Josh Penniman. I don't think it was particularly medical related, but he said, I will never recover from this student email. And it said, good afternoon, Professor Pennyman. Hope you've had a great break. I was wondering if it would be acceptable to use sources from the late 1900s for our paper. I found a paper from 1994. And I think it was just the fact that it was like referred to as the late 1900s, as if this was a period of yore that's long gone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this student is obviously so young to think, oh gosh, 1994 is just so old. And it's made that like 30 years ago. Yeah. But oh, I God, think I don't think that. I've ever I don't think I've ever heard someone relate to the 1980s and 1990s as the late 1900s. It's something about yeah, that just feels yeah, it's painful. Really painful isn't it? yeah, Absolutely. Um, oh, but no. talking about painful as well. There was a good tweet from Cara this week about Cara Lissette, who often has a good take, I feel. She's a good one to follow. It's a good egg. And she was talking about something that I'd been thinking about as well for a while about People were talking about how TV shows and movies are not really acknowledging the pandemic as such. And the original tweet that she was quote tweeting said something about this is one of the biggest global impacts in history. And there's hardly any entertainment talking about it, which I guess is a juxtaposition in itself. And Cara made a good point and just said, I'm actually pleased about that, which I totally agree with. Lockdown in the height of COVID was terrifying and traumatic. And I don't want to be reminded of it when I'm using media for escapism. And I, it made me think because I'd watched that, I love Grey's Anatomy and I watched that series where Meredith, the main character, had COVID and was on a vent and stuff. I remember thinking like, I didn't realise how traumatised I was by COVID until I started watching that because it just, I just couldn't watch it. It just made me like really restless and uncomfortable. And for a while I didn't really realise why until I thought, oh, actually this is, it's because it's about COVID. And then there yeah. was that show, again, mentioning Stephen Graham again, which I didn't watch. It was a show with him and Jodie Comer, maybe called Hell or something like that, which was a drama based about the nursing homes and how, like, what happened there and just remembering people talking about that in work. And I just think I genuinely, I cannot watch that. I just cannot. That's so interesting. Do- it's fun- Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it raises the question about what we want to get from when we watch shows. We yeah, kind of, what is how much- it? Yeah how much we want it to represent reality and how much we want it to be like an escape and how much how much of it breaks the immersion yes it's for example in that show the bear they are running the restaurant in the aftermath of covid so they've been blasted by it and so they mention it and i remember watching it and thinking oh that's interesting that kind of sets the time for me anyway it puts it in a place in time yeah i knew okay it's quite current it made me think oh and you can relate in, in that way and but I do think it's funny, not funny, but I think it's interesting about that and how we <laughs> suspend disbelief for certain things and other yeah. things just, and I can, and how, like, so for example, I remember there were people who were complaining about, was it in Lord of the Rings or some kind of fantasy show, or maybe a science fiction, they're like, there's so many black people that made it like woke. And it's, you can oh, believe in elves and dwarves and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you, just believe in this. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't that accept is. that there's what people of color in this fantasy land. Like, why that is that? didn't even that, exist that, in the first place. Exactly. It, the land so did because not I'm exist. like, yeah. that's what broke your immersion. Well, like when yeah. people in superhero movies are like, oh, that's so unbelievable. I'm like, this is a film that has Thor, a thunder god. And yeah. you like a man who had a superhero. Yeah. But 
you're upset because that hammer d- defied gra- gravity. Like, yeah, what? it's not as if he was just living in the cul-de-sac down the road that you could relate <laughs> to and think, oh yeah, that's the guy with the mega big hammer that does great things. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. it's a documentary. But no, and that's the thing. So I've realised in terms of, so I love reading, but I've realised over the years that actually I can only read like non-fiction. I really struggle to read fiction and I wonder if it's something to do with struggling to like visualise things. Yeah. I love documentaries as well. But I've noticed that like when I watch TV, I do watch things that are probably like ridiculously funny, far-fetched or whatever that are then not very realistic at all. And I guess that's more visual to me. So I then equate watching kind of stuff on television. So shows and movies with maybe things that I just don't want to relate to and things that aren't, you know, could happen in real life kind of thing, I guess. That's what I've noticed. And I, I, I don't know what it is about COVID. I just think I just don't want to watch. No, so no, fair enough. That, but I see why people would as well. Because that's it's something about honouring it, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. To yeah. portray that in different like ways and methods would mean a lot to some people as well. It's, yeah, but yeah, it's, that made me think. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? How there is this kind of like collective, there obviously will be this kind of collective general generational trauma probably in 20 or 30 years like yeah. we'll be talking about that time when the roads are really quiet and people are clapping outside and just the kind of stuff oh, gosh, that yeah. stuff that happened that was just in isolation so peculiar yeah and, oh. and even now sounds preposterous so i think even with the kind of with the hindsight of about 20 years will just look ridiculous like our prime minister now at the time was the chancellor of exchequer and he was saying eat out to help out he was to try and yeah. encourage the restaurant industry and as a result, like the cases of COVID spike. Like it's just so ridiculous. And totally. it's funny. I just And not to make light of it, but even like you said about people like clapping on the third it was a Thursday night, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so weird. And it? I just think if I was to tell someone who didn't experience that time, so if I had a child and they grew up and I said, Oh, every Thursday people used to go on their doorstep and bang saucepans with a wooden you, spoon like... for healthcare workers. Yeah. And like I'm pretty sure they'd be like are you okay? Because it yeah, just yeah, doesn't literally. like, we've never done anything like that before. And I hope to God, to goodness, that we never have to do anything like that again. It's just, yeah. and I still remember that story that you told where you were running past, it was that <laughs> yeah. you were doing a run that night and you, was it, you so, fell and, yeah, oh I was like, my oh, gosh. No, they're going to come out and it's going to be like, they're cheering me and then I fell over, yeah. So, it's such an idiot. Oh man, let's move on, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. So something that's upset people understandably is the IMT ratios, like it's four to one this year. And there's a e- there's an email that goes out that pretty much says stuff to that degree. I think if people are willing to do IMT, then they shouldn't have to also have to queue up to do it because it's so awful no. and the people queuing up to do it. But that apparently seems to be the way. Yeah. And so naturally, the spin-off of that tends- is about IMGs, apparently. Apparently, that's all IMGs for. It's either IMGs or PAs, isn't it? That's the two yes. arguments that we keep Could getting at the moment, which is quite, again, where does the evidence and it's a bit short-sighted. But yeah, I think... And I think I'd, I mentioned another time previously, like a, a really good F3 or F4 colleague that I worked with was like, only got an IMT job for... She's IMT1 oh, yeah. now. So she only got it after four or five rounds and she was a very good doctor. And when we were discussing it, we thought... I don't think any of us thought about IMGs or PAs or AMPs. It was more the fact that I think a lot of people are trying to enter training at the same time and yeah, things are just weird at the moment. But... Rob Fleming made a really good point and just said, actually, I think the shortfall of training numbers is artificial. It is a workforce crisis. Like all of us have witnessed that. But the bottlenecks, that obviously then means that there's competition and that's probably not necessary. But I don't know why it's doing that. But as he said, it doesn't need to be like this. There should be better avenues for CESA and SAS. And I just don't know what the end goal is. 
Yeah. There are lots of people who, I think, I do think, I remember a lot of people talking very readily about doing F3 years and taking time out to locum and travel and to see how things were. And whilst I still see people talk about that, I think that people are also seeing the, con- the contract struggle and mm. how difficult it is to get kind of locum work because people are like, times are hard. And I think what they're doing is thinking, if I've got a number, there's security there. And I think there are people who like, they say that Absolutely. when, like during times of kind of the recession, which happens, okay, for bloody ages, but like it's worse now. Um, people don't, go, they go on holidays less and they do up their house. And I think, and that's because they, what they are doing is they're, they're looking for security. And I feel like that's one of the reasons mm. um, that people just, I think it's just easy to just say IMG. I think, I'm not sure if there's any evidence to suggest that they're more into international medical graduates that are applying this year than they were last year or the year before. Yeah, I don't think that evidence exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and that's the thing, and there was some talk as well about how, I think anecdotally, like some GPs are finding it difficult to get locum work, whereas that was always something that they could do before. But I think that's just a wider symptom, or sorry, a symptom of the wider problem in terms of the cash flow is not there. So again, whilst people would be guaranteed locum work as an SHO, as a GP, as a consultant, as a reg or whatever, that's the same. That's what lots of people's F3s and F4s were based on with the cost of living and stuff now. And I guess hospitals and stuff having to tighten their belts. Yes, I guess maybe there is a proportion of that work that's being done by allied health professionals that maybe are not doctors and it might be a slightly cheaper wage. But yeah. that's the whole point with like the local market. Like with a training program, like you say, at least you can guarantee a job for three years with IMT3. But with a lo- with locum, you can't even guarantee the next day. Like, yeah, and when there's stressful. loads of that work, yeah, absolutely. When there's loads of that work around, but even when I was like finished F two in two thousand and fifteen, and I hadn't applied for anything at that point, I couldn't cope with the fact that even though the locum market was booming then, and I know lots of people who locumed and managed to get a deposit for the house, etc., I just couldn't, I couldn't risk that uncertainty, and so I went into a junior clinical fellow post that was for twelve months, but just purely because I just couldn't, there's always going to be people who can't deal with that. And I think it's even less, those people are even more sorry now because there's even less people that can deal with that just because of how the way things are. But we should never feel entitled to locum work because that's just the definition of it. It's ad hoc, isn't it? We shouldn't bank on that. Precarious and a short notice. You can't, it's difficult to live a life like that. Interestingly, other offshoots of that, whole that figure the the ratio of four to three johnny gukian did write a did a tweet that said postgraduate med- medical education is an industry and they people are talking about how they can they do a little discount black friday <laughs> 30 because just a friendly reminder that our black friday code expires soon competitions ratios are up by 43 percent. we can help dot there you go there's someone someone's getting paid Totally. And like we've mentioned, Johnny's not wrong. Like the conferences that we've just talked about at the beginning of the episode, so expensive to attend when you subscribe to those online question banks, you know, the cost of textbooks, just everything is just look at the cost of exams and exam prep courses and interview courses. Of course, medical education is a huge business and more of us are silly for probably not getting involved in that ourselves. But honestly, like I just don't think there's ever going to be a day where money won't be made on this type of stuff. There's always going to be a customer for it, unfortunately. Oh, I like that you need to um, take praise for some positivity here. Do you want to read that? 
Yeah, I think this is probably like a good bit of balance that we need every so often. Tech tech priest, sorry, was just uh, recounting an experience he had. So he said, years ago, as a medical student, I sat in on the clinic to review a patient who started low-dose medications despite their scepticism. It had proven to be transformative. And after the consultant turned to me and said, that's why we do psychiatry. Eight years later, I've just done the same thing with a student. So I just thought that was lovely because it just shows like how some of us end up in specialties. And that was obviously such a formative moment for him in terms of I want to do that. And then to, for him to be able to maybe inspire someone else. It, it feels a bit circle of lifey kind of thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. This is what we want to do. We want people to be interested and we want yeah. to showcase what we can do and how we can help people. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, I like that. Like but he did then follow it up and said, I know it's unfashionable to actually like your job and have good days in the NHS practice these days. But it's got a good point. I think we need those kind of things. And even though I've just been in GP for a few weeks so far, I've had some nice interactions and some nice feedback. And you just cannot deny that just gives you that little boost. Everything else is burning. Everything else is shite. But to know that you've made a bit of a difference to one person or you've had a nice interaction with a child who maybe goes away no longer being scared to go to the doctor or whatever, that's the stuff that makes it worth it, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah. I think like life, one of the kind of like beautiful things of life is when it kind of seems to have that symmetry and go full circle, I think it just kind yeah. of, something like, about it. Isn't it? It's, it's like completion it. sometimes. Like it's, I guess it's like giving back what you received potentially. Yeah. And it's like the learner has become the teacher kind of thing. I just yeah, quite yeah, like yeah. that. It, it gives thought, me like purpose and direction, I think, is what I like about it. Definitely. I think during calls like it, this week so it was four days on call and one of the ni- nice throwbacks for me was that you ha- I had the same SHO every single day and um, yeah. you get to, with your nights I, you don't tend to get that quite so often with days I find but with my nights it is there were days it was the same and just going together to do trying to what I tried to do was to go to stuff with her when she got called to do things but also to get her to come with me when I did things and I felt like when I was an SHO doing stuff with the reg one gave you company, but two, you learn a lot by watching what they did. They totally. made it more fun if you have, and that kind of, for some reason, it took me back to being like an SHO and the times there and stuff. And I, I do think that medicine is an apprenticeship, and those times where you do get to pass down stuff, yeah, it's like magical, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like you're the elder, kind. It's like the wisdom, because yeah. God knows I have wisdom nowhere else in my life. So I'm like, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I can like, do yeah. it on this occasion, and it's quite. It is quite nice. And sometimes it's, I used to find it reassuring as a junior when people like used to say I was in your position and I did X, Y, or Z, it gets better and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I trust you. Like you've been quite frank, how rubbish about how rubbish things are now. And you are telling me and it'll get better. And I guess I trust you because you've been Mm. through it kind of thing. It's just something that you can empathize with. And I think like, you probably couldn't pay me enough to start medical school again from now with (laughs) debt and uncertainty over jobs and all this kind of stuff i think like anything we can do to like just foster a positive experience for some of our more junior and younger colleagues is probably Mm. not a bad thing and like you say you just learn loads and going as a little team it's just yeah makes a world of difference but moving on from medical stuff there was a there was like a tweet that rosie linked about kind of neurodivergent and mental health that kind of caught my eye and obviously rosie's our times correspondent she's like the She's our link to like oh, the outside yeah. kind she of is. media, isn't she? But she, <laughs> she, she is, she she gives us like the good, like the important stuff to talk about. Mm. 
But so she screened, she screenshotted, <laughs> just suddenly lost the ability to say my R's, but she screenshotted a letter from the Times, as she often yeah. does, because she always, there's some always some corkers in there, I feel. And oh, the caption she said was about, no, let me talk about the letter first. So the letter was from David Mitchell, who I was like, I'm sure he's a comedian, but obviously there's another Dr. David Mitchell. Hmm. And he was saying that, that during his 42 years as a GP, um, he became increasingly sceptical about the true pre- prevalence um, of conditions such as ADHD, PTSD, bipolar. Um, that he, he said the problem is that apart from some soft, this is in inverted commas, rating tools such as the Beck's depression inventory, there are no definitive tests for mental health conditions. A diagnosis of diabetes requires hard biochemical evidence. A diagnosis of ADHD is subject to no such rigorous investigation and confirmation. Rosie's caption to this was, okay, so until hard biochemical evidence allowing for rigorous investigation and confirmation is available for every disease or condition, I do wonder what Dr. Mitchell would have us do. And I think like the fact that this guy is openly admitting that he's been a GP for over 40 years and he can't diagnose something because it doesn't have hard biochemical evidence, like that's massively concerning in itself. But what? I don't know. Mental illness, cognitive disorders, anything to do with the mind. Like, how can that be, like, refuted? How can that be thought of as non, not a thing? This, it this just, opinion pisses me off. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't really hold to any examination because how much of medicine is actually just down to blood tests? Like, so much of it is yeah. down to judgment and clinical judgment. I literally, I, so I said he wants a blood test because he can't read an ECG. If you, yeah. we diagnose a STEMI, like, with an ECG, you don't. You base it on their but symptoms. That's, yeah, like, that's a good point. If we were only reply, relying on blood tests, then what's the point of doctors? Again, that's yeah. the whole thing. Just let AI do it. Just test the blood. And then that, then we go into Elizabeth Holmes' territory with bloody Theranos oh, and her yeah. saying, I can do a blood test for these hundreds of conditions or whatever. But yeah, that's, you're, you've got a good point. Like as doctors, we are trained to like assess and examine people and formulate plans and diagnoses. If everything had a biochemical marker, there'd be no room for us. So put an own goal there by uh, Dr. Mitchell just showing that he is an idiot, basically. The Times loves one. these people, man. They always print these space. letters. What the heck? Did you see? I linked this to a tweet, which is a little bit scary, but it was about, it was by someone called Sarah Suze. It's an old tweet from October 2018. I don't know how it ended up on my feed, but it is a really interesting kind of story. So that her handle is at Tragedy Thyme. And I'm actually following us. Give her a follow. She goes, a quick reminder for men. Common events for you can turn into really scary situations for women in a snap. Case in point, this week I listed a clothes dryer on the Let Go app. Because it was a dryer, a neutral meeting location was impractical. I needed it taken out of my house. To try to stay safe, I decided to only allow people to pick it up after five and my husband would be home. But a guy who works nights asked if he could come in the morning. Instead, I said yes, as long as you're here before husband leaves for work. The next morning, buyer isn't here before husband leaves. I message and tell him not to come. He shows up 15 minutes later. Mm. In addition to being late, he has no dolly or help, despite the ad saying the dryer was in a basement and you have to remove it yourself. He says he'll come back with help. I say after five would be great. He then asks if he could see it just real quick before coming back and bringing someone over in case he doesn't want it. So now I have a decision to make. I quickly try to assess my likelihood of danger. This bit, oh gosh. I have to really try. So as every woman has done so many times, this instinct first, what's his age? Late 60s, early 70s. He's tall, but thin, wearing a wedding ring. 
hasn't smiled at me strangely or looked at me for too long. I make a judgment call, feeling like he's more likely to be safe than unsafe and feeling bad, badly about not letting him see the dryer. I invite him in. Once in the basement, he's positive he can get it out with just a little help, he says, looking at me. Fuck it, I pick up a side. Walking to the stairs is fine. We're sharing the work. With each stair, I'm feeling more and more of the way. I'm sweating, heaving, pissed. Halfway up the stairs and I feel, it feels like he's doing nothing. And then I see it, the look on his face. He's staring at me hard, right in the eyes. Sly smile on his lips. His hair is matted to my, my hair is matted to my forehead. I can't get a comfortable grip. I'm just about to ask him what's going on. Is he even lifting when he starts to speak? Damn girl, look at you. Man, those thighs, put them to work, huh? That sweat looks good on you, working thighs like that. I bet your husband is a happy man. Come on, show me what you got. I was mortified and I'm realizing I can't get out. He and a dryer I'm lifting are blocking me. I do what women do, lower my eyes, pretend to laugh a little, start lifting faster. The comments and staring get worse, but I try to block them out. As soon as I'm free of the basement, I walk straight past him to my phone, wait five seconds and say, honey, the buyer is here. And guess what happened? He left without buying it. Was this guy going to murder me? Probably not, but I'm not sure. Am I pissed I had to worry about being murdered in my own home because Grandpa Creeper likes sweaty women? Yeah, fucker. The point, other than my being pissed and wanting to tell people, is that events like this, even when we come out okay, take an emotional toll. I was scared. He left more and more of the weight on me and watched me squirm. And now I have one more thing I have to worry about. So men, if you want to be allies, then recognising that assault is bad is just the minimum. For every sexual assault, there are thousands of events that don't lead to violence, but which scare the shit out of us, especially after our assessment turns out to have been wrong. And obviously, if, you've ever, if you are ever in a woman's home alone, whether during a service call or an online sale like this, except if she's home alone, she's likely done the assessment. Respect her space. Don't, go gro don't do gross shit. The basics, please. Anyway, yeah. That was such a good account of, I think, what so many of us think but I probably never even subcon uh, never even consciously, sorry, maybe verbalize it to ourselves. And it's, I think that's such a good, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good anecdote. And I hope that person doesn't feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything of what they've done. Because like I said, they just didn't know and they made, they made a guess. Yeah. But mm. it's that thing about sharing that with women and then women being like, okay, yeah, definitely. And it just, if it's just food for thought for one other person, I think that's, that's beneficial and it's those things like when you're walking as a, as a woman alone after a night out or you're out late by yourself and like a man and on this in the street and it's yeah. that thing of is he following me is he just and I've yeah. done that when I've been out with a dog before and I'm just like okay I've actually turned quite a few turnings and that that person is still there do I stop and hang back do I try and get to somewhere like a shop do, yeah. and what do you do and you're just trying to figure out what's coming next with my phone how do I do this and then I've heard some people say sometimes men will cross over and sometimes say, oh, I'm just crossing over. Yeah. And I think that's quite respectful. But yeah, just think unless you've experienced it, it's quite hard to think what that feels like. It's so true. And in accounts like where people talk about, where women talk about how they've felt in those situations and men have been like, oh, it's just like a joke and oh, you're like overreacting and stuff. I think it goes to show that there are... There are creepy, scary, unpredictable people out there and you just can't tell them apart. You can't tell them apart. And I think that was her like point, wasn't it? Like she thought, yeah. she thought this kind of like older man who's wearing a re wedding ring. Yeah. What can know, he do? What can he do? And that's it. And that's probably part of their gambit in the way that they know maybe that will lower the defenses. I look like an old man. What they, that's going to give me more of a free pass. But yeah, that's a, such a good account of a really terrifying situation. Um, but 
Yeah. But before we finish, I just wanted to mention about there's a, a tweet about people that you meet on Twitter. And I saw this and it just got me thinking a lot, like introspectively about what Twitter has been and what a space it is. And I don't think we discussed it last week, but there was a tweet last week that I was looked at that said about how they feel Twitter has changed and how it wasn't a place for like meeting mutuals and stuff anymore, but things had turned not for the better and they were finding it more of an unpleasant place. And I think for me, like I have noticed that there's a change, but I think I still find it such a such a treasured space and somewhere that I can still find connections. So this was a tweet by at girl81 who said, as I drift off to sleep, I can't help but think about the friends I've made on this app. How I'm still friends with some who were there in the beginning. How a tight group of friends during COVID dissolved away. How people who randomly popped into my messages will talk for a period of time and then leave. Some stay, most go. Fate versus destiny vibes. I hope all these interactions are teaching me something. That I have meant something to others. I don't believe I'll ever know. And I just thought that was so profound because I think we met over Twitter. And I just can't see how... And my best friend I've met over Twitter, lots of people I've met over Twitter, and I can't see how our paths would have ever have crossed if it wasn't yeah. for that app. Because sometimes I do believe in faith and I think maybe it would have crossed in another way. But I just, and it, what she said is spot on. Like there's people who I've become quite friendly with, who now I don't yeah. speak to at all. And then you, there's other people that you suddenly develop a bit of a friendship and stuff with. And I just think it's odd because if you've not, again, if you've not experienced it, I find it quite hard to explain to people, oh, this is my friend from the internet because that's what it sounds like, isn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's also what it is. And also yeah, I just, you become friends for a reason. There's obviously things in common and you gel and you click. Whether that's, you find that out online or whether it's in person through a group or through work, to me, it's the same thing. But I think online and things like Twitter just allow me access to find more people who I connect with. It's so true. And I think that's probably one of the reasons... I think why I was so upset when Elon Musk made so many changes to it. Because I was like, this thing has brought me so much joy and so much connection. And when it has, it does still feel under constant threat. Um, Mm. And when you think about it, how amazing it's been, I think that's why people have reacted to it so emotionally, because it has given people a space to connect with people, which has been something that I definitely struggled with throughout life. And so to how to be able to, to give me the opportunity to do so. I was speaking to Joe today and she was talking about so next year for me is going to be like a big my big foray that's my big birthday and she was like I was just like wondering about what you might want to do and she said oh like you're probably going to want to meet up with like friends from Twitter I think I feel like those are probably like some of your closest friends like maybe mm. you should do something with them and I was like yeah you know what that's probably true yeah I think I'd count myself in that same bracket as well that's my closest friends are people who I've connected with and met on Twitter and I think that just there is a reason for that like it's not anything less but you do just gravitate towards I think those people and I feel like I know you and I also can't believe that when we go to this conference this coming week that's going to be the first time I've met you in real life but I've just seen you through a screen for now and it's so strange isn't it but yeah yeah, it just made me think and again sometimes those relationships serve people for a particular reason or for a a particular amount of time and I quite liked her sentiment where she was like, I just ho- hope I've made an impression or that I've learned stuff or from whoever I've come across. And I think that's, as long as you're, there's no detriment to you, then I think go for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, meet people, connect people, whether it's online or whatever. That's it's all nice. good. Yeah. It's all good. That's nice. nice. That's nice. We've done a few nice things this I know, episode, oh my God. Which is not like us. Quite unlike us. And then we're going to yeah. end on <laughs> this oh, weird this one. this is so funny. Tell us about this. Yeah, so this was a tweet by Mark Abalajan, sorry, MD, who posted a photo from 
the grand finale of the Philippine Urological Association Annual Convention, where they had a Mr. and Mrs. Urology pageant featuring residents from all of the urology training institutions in the country. Now, I'll put this on our newsletter because the picture is hilarious. Like, it looks like dead glitzy, dead it's glam. Amazing, isn't it? There's a big stage, yeah, with all these different colour strobe lights. There's people sitting around round tables, like a dead formal event. And then one of the pictures, is there's like a swimsuit model. Yeah. And there's people in tuxes. Then one of the pictures is a girl in a bikini and a guy wearing a fake abs shirt. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, my God, me and... Therusha were going to conference. They best not be any sort of pageant. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I am I'm not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is I aspirational, just, isn't it? This is, to, yeah. I just love the hilarity of this. Yeah. It looked like a proper Miss World competition. Took me back to those Miss Congeniality film days where <laughs> I just thought, what are they going to sing? Do you get to ask questions? And yeah, it's so funny. It's but amazing. someone called it Nerd Prom, which I thought was quite cute. Oh. I was like, you're so funny. But so, they're oh. hot, man. Some of the people are so hot. I know, it's amazing. Philipp yeah. The Philippines, so if anyone wants to try and get into their study budget for next year, it's the Philippine yes. Urological Association annual convention. Start saving up because that yeah. obviously is And if you start be... doing like crunches now, you might get a real six-pack yeah. by that time and you could Please. sweep the floor. You could win this yeah, award. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that on your CV as like Mr. Interventional Cardiologist <laughs> yeah, 2023. Exactly. I went to this urology conference. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a conversation give starter. A, give him a consultant job. Yeah, yeah pre pass. All right, guys, on that note, I know I said guys when it's guys to and the girls crowd. And everyone else. Yeah. yeah, to the you plural. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Bethan. This has been fun oh, as always. And yes, yeah, see you on see you Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I feel Bye, like we everyone. have to do it to a screen, but yeah, see you Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bye. take care. Bye-bye.